What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. It is Super Bowl week. Finally, we got a really grim reminder last week of what our lives are going to be like until September with no football, but it is time for the Super Bowl. We got a real game to talk about this week, and Matt is going to be on to break it down with me. We're going to go over the game from a narrative perspective, a on-field perspective, and then talk about some of the fun props uh, that you can bet on and some that you may not be able to bet on. Uh, and then if you guys want to stay tuned, the end of the podcast, my favorite team, uh, NBA team, the Sacramento Kings, par for the course, they did something really stupid today. Uh, and I need to vent and talk about that, but we will save that for the end. Let's go. Matt is here. It is Super Bowl week. Finally, we actually have a football game to talk about this weekend. All right, Super Bowl 56. Woo! <laughs> Woo! The LA Rams versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, currently, the Rams are favored by four points, and the over-under is about 49 and a half. You know what's weird to think about? My dad... And I would guess your dad are both notably older than the actual Super Bowl. And yet still my team has never been to one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your team's never been to one, but your quarterback is in this one. And uh, one. Eminem is playing the halftime show. So our teacher for our birthing class, for mine and Marley's birthing class, actually showed us a meme which, I mean, best birthing class ever when the memes come out. And it said, Matt Stafford playing in the Super Bowl, Eminem playing the halftime show. Yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> this is the closest that Detroit will ever come to the Super Bowl. Depressing. But I would remind those people that made that meme that the Super Bowl was actually in Detroit one time. Yeah, that's actually factually untrue. And also, like, keep in mind, Detroit was one win away from going to the Super Bowl in, I want to say, 91. But they also got their asses beat by the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins. I refuse to say their new name. Yeah, we went over how bad that was last week. Uh, but I am actually excited to have a game to talk about. Unfortunately, it's the last game of the NFL season. And last weekend was a grim reminder of what we have to look forward to for the next six months of our lives as we wait for football to come back. Right. But let's enjoy it while it's here. So first thing on this game, I want to ask you from a narrative perspective, like the, the Super Bowl's big narrative game draws in a lot of the casual fans. Obviously it's the most watched TV event every single year and it will be again this year. Yep. Who do you think needs this more from a narrative perspective? You look at the Rams and the narrative is that Matt Stafford finally has a chance to win a Super Bowl after toiling away in Detroit his whole career. But then on the Bengals side, they're one of only 12 teams that have never won a Super Bowl. And Burrow's kind of coming into his own as an elite QB in this league. 
this season has really announced his presence alongside guys like Mahomes and Allen in the AFC. And I guess you could throw Justin Herbert in there a little bit. The Bengals have never won a Super Bowl, and they haven't been to one in over 30 years. And you got to wonder with some of the obvious deficiencies they have along that offensive line, if they're really going to be a consistent Super Bowl threat every year. I have in recent episodes laid out my concerns about their ability to strengthen that offensive line in future years um, and why it might have been more prudent than it seems right now for them to have gone offensive line in the draft. But that being said, when you look at the full picture between these two teams, this isn't even close. LA needs this way more. They put everything into this year. If they don't win this year, oh man, they're they're gonna have a hard time patching up a roster over the next couple of years to have another chance. They traded away all of the picks. Like they don't have a pick until like the third round for multiple years. They need this. They're here. There's no guarantee you get back next year, even if Stafford comes back. Joe Burrow is young. He's only in his second year in the NFL. You've got a great young receiving core. For all of his personal faults, Joe Mixon is a very talented young running back that they can bring back. And they've got some stuff going on defense. I mean, I think you'd probably like to see them make some improvements over there, but like they've got stuff to work with going forward. A competent general manager should be able to build on this year and be better in future years, regardless of what happens. It's hard to imagine LA putting out a better roster next year with everything they've given up. It does feel like the road back would be a lot tougher for LA than it would be for the Bengals. The one thing that worries me for the Bengals is like I said, the the AFC is going to be a like absolute cage match for the next 10 years. You have, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, you know, Mac Jones. I think Trevor Lawrence still is capable of getting to that like high level quarterback play. You're going to have a lot of guys. You have like a lot of teams like the AFC looks like it's going to be stronger for a long time to come while the NFC, the sun's kind of setting on some of the better teams, you know, Tom Brady retired. Roger Rogers may not be on the Packers next year. Uh, the Saints just lost Sean Payton. So I think that like the road back for the Rams from a competition standpoint may be easier, but I think you're right that, you know, you have Joe Burrow for the next 15 years, if you're the Bengals and you got to believe that someone that talented and with that kind of swagger and leadership ability is going to at least get you in position to make one more where I don't know if the Rams make it back again for a very long time with everything that they've given up. Yeah, you know, especially if someone like Stafford leaves after next year or the year after or something like that. Like if he's gone and now you got to find a new quarterback and now you're 
just guys you got to pay like, you know, Cooper cups in line for a big payday. They could, they yep. could have trouble putting out a good product for the next couple of years with all the picks they've given up. They pushed all of the chips in every single chip. Again, we're talking about this narrative wise, like Stafford and McVeigh bumped into each other at a resort down in Mexico in the off season. And there was like, this whole like love triangle thing and like for it to not cap off in a Super Bowl when they are there, that that sours that entire story. And keep in mind, Matthew Stafford, after they traded two first round picks and a starting defensive lineman and like other picks too, in order to get him, has not signed an extension. All indications are he's not playing more than one more year. Yeah, I mean, we went over that. I don't agree with that, but we'll have to agree to disagree. I think if you go like a narrative level deeper here too and look at Sean McVay, he was brought into the Rams as like a 30 year old coach who, you know, he went from being quarterbacks coach in Washington to being the head coach of a football team at like 30 or 32, however old he was when he was brought in. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be like boy wonder, you know, Mr. Genius. And he gets them to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the Patriots and gets absolutely embarrassed. Like it's his pants pulled down on national television by Bill Belichick. Yeah. Now he's back with, a better team. You know, they, he had the excuses the first game, like, oh, we had Jared Goff, they have Tom Brady, we're at a disadvantage, where, you know, it's Bill Belichick's greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. If you make it to a Super Bowl and get beat by Zach Taylor, who's a former protege of his, you're yeah. out of excuses. You're out. And then all of a sudden yeah. the narrative becomes, oh man, can Sean McVay win the big one? Can he make the adjustments necessary to win these big games? And like one of the biggest excuses for him was, Oh, well, Jared Goff just isn't any good. You know what? The evidence for a large part of this year supported that. But if you, hey, Jared Goff actually played very well at the end of the year once he finally got some confidence going um, and had a little bit of trust with his receivers. So while most of the evidence supports that, maybe, maybe there was something going on there maybe Sean McVay wasn't perfect. Um, But if you then go to a Super Bowl with the guy that you gave up the farm for against, for a guy who's only been in the league two years, you got a little egg on your face at that point. Yeah, it would be a tough, it'd be a tough loss for McVay and his staff. If you lose this game, I think you got to kind of, you kind of got to win this game. If you want to keep that title as like, you're the young boy genius. And then, you know, there's obviously the Stafford piece of this too, where for years and years and years, it was, Oh, this guy can't win. Yeah. And then he finally gets his chance. He gets away and now he's winning. But if he loses this one, there's still like, there's still going to be that door open where it's like, Oh yeah. Well, you know, his, the people, the detractors, for Stafford are going to say, well, he couldn't, he couldn't really win. He won a couple games and got lucky, but when it mattered, he couldn't deliver. It's like, that's not fair. Cause he's been great in these playoffs. Like we outlined last week, but it's still going to be there if he loses. 
I will say that the people who would say that after losing the Super Bowl are the exact same people who would also just try to detract from him winning the Super Bowl. Like there's there's nothing he can do to win those people over at this point. Nothing. Waiting for the first Cooper Cup carried Matt Stafford story. Right. And they're like, oh, well, he basically played with an all-star team. I'm like, well, so did Tom Brady that year. He threw 50 touchdowns and he didn't win the Super Bowl. Ow. Yeah. What, why? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Catching a stray through the screen. Yeah. I mean, he there may not be anything he could do to win them over, but yeah. you do have to think about like winning a Super Bowl is the ultimate validation for a quarterback. Yeah. It's just like winning a championship in any sport is the ultimate validation. Like you don't want to end up being a Charles Barkley type guy where it's like, oh yeah, man, he was awesome. He was really good, but he never won the big one. Well, that's not fair in a lot of people's cases. It is the ultimate validation, especially playing quarterback in the NFL. Like you look at the list of guys who have a Super Bowl ring. It's pretty, it's really not as long as you think it is. No. And like, I'm sorry it doesn't mean as much as it shouldn't mean as much as it does to so many people. Like you're really telling me that like Trent Dofer is more qualified than Matthew Stafford. Trent Dofer. Even his name is a joke. Yeah. And talk about playing with an all-star team. That's probably the greatest defense of all time. If not like, you know, top three. It's definitively the best defense of all time, in my opinion. There's no argument. There's a lot on the line for both teams. I mean, if you're the Bengals, too, you haven't won ever. You're one of only 12 teams that haven't won a Super Bowl. And you haven't made it back in 30-plus years since you went to your last one. So it's one of those things. Like I'm sure there's a lot of Bengals fans out there who probably were like, oh, I'm, I'm going to live my whole life and never see my team win a Super Bowl it feels like in a way like a David versus Goliath kind of thing where Cincinnati is kind of like a smaller, it's a big city, but it's like a smaller version of a big city where an NFL team is. And LA is like, it's LA, like it's the biggest market there is. So it's kind of like, you know, comparatively small market versus big market. It's something that was built naturally with draft picks and, you know, kind of topping it off with free agents, but like smaller kind of build up versus a team that's like you said, studded with all-stars with Ramsey and Donald and cup and like all these guys. And like, it's really not a fair assessment if you kind of break down like the talent of the two teams, because Cincinnati is a really talented team. Yeah. But I think from a narrative perspective, it's starting to feel that way where it's like, Oh, small Cincinnati versus the big, bad LA. Right. So let's go from narrative to on field, the stuff that actually matters. I mean, narratives are fun. And we'll see a bunch of narratives coming out of the Super Bowl based on who wins. But what actually matters is the stuff that happens on the field in LA, mind you. After Between the lines. Yeah. After not having a home team for 54 years in the Super Bowl, we're back now back. Yeah, two years in a row. So we got to find out where the Super Bowl is being hosted next year and bet on whatever team that is to make the Super Bowl. So from an on field perspective, I just cannot get over the Bengals offensive line. I feel like a broken record because I've been saying this 
every week since the beginning of the playoffs that the Bengals, you know, we picked them over the Raiders, but we picked the Titans. And then we picked the chiefs on this podcast because yeah. the Bengals offensive line is such a sore spot. And I just like, I look at it and I just think that at some point it has to matter. It just has to, if it doesn't matter, then why do we even have offensive linemen? Last week, uh, not last week, the week before, maybe, just maybe, we propped up Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram just a little bit too much. Chris Jones, when he's on his game, is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. You know who makes him look like a chump? Aaron fucking Donald. Like, Chris Jones cannot hold a candle to Aaron Donald. <laughs> no, the one thing I will say about Kansas City real quick, too, yeah. is that they, from a pass rush perspective, they kind of were who we thought they were. We yeah. laid out on the podcast that they actually, they get a lot of pressure, but very few sacks. Mm-hmm. And that played out in that game. They uh, pressured Joe Burrow on 24% of his dropbacks, but only sacked him once. If you go back to that podcast too, we said, if you're going to blitz Joe Burrow, you have to bring him down. Yeah. The Raiders did not blitz him. And he kind of, you know, they got some pressure on him, kind of struggled. I think he only got sacked two times in that game. The Titans blitzed the crap out of him, but they were bringing him to the ground. And that's why they were successful. The Chiefs, they were there, but couldn't get him. Joe Burrow is very much slept on as an athlete. He's a very athletic guy. And it's not necessarily like the let's get him at the combine and you know do all these tests and be wowed by his numbers, but he just has that like he's got you know decent like good you know speed agility all that for the position, but like he just has this weird like unusual like amount of wiggle and just kind of like anticipation of where hits are coming from maybe call it spidey senses i don't know i think most analysts would call it pocket presence but we can go with spidey senses if you want no no i'm calling it spidey senses because it's better tom brady has pocket presence and so does stafford and it just it's different in that like it looks like they've got him. And then like at the last moment, he just gives this little like twist of the hips or rotation of his torso. And then like all of a sudden he's gone. It's not like, Oh, he just like evaded a rusher. It's he made the dude miss. And now he's gone. He's what I would call slippery. He's slippery coach. Yeah. Missed him. Yeah. I mean, it showed up. Yeah, five runs for 25 uh, against the Chiefs. And, like, you wouldn't think that's a ton, but some of them were clutch situations, like third downs and uh, areas that kept the drive going. The one thing I will say, you know, we laid out the fact that the Kansas City gets a lot of pressure, but they get very few sacks. The Rams get a lot of sacks. Number three in the entire league. I feel very comfortable saying that Super Bowl Von Miller is better than Melvin Ingram. I would say that's a fair assessment. <laughs> I would say that too, though. Like they, so they had 50 sacks this year. They were number three in the league. 
And the majority of that was without Von Miller. And then even when Von Miller did come over to the Rams, it took him some time to kind of heat up and learn the scheme and that he's been really good this season. So I think if you have Von Miller the whole season, you're probably, that's probably the leading sack team in the league. One thing that I found strange in that Rams 49ers game is that there were certain looks that they were getting from the 49ers offense that like repeatedly resulted in them deciding to have Leonard Floyd and Von Miller drop into coverage. I don't like that. I don't like that. That's what Raheem Morris thinks is a good idea of how to use his personnel. I don't mind him dropping one of them at a time to kind of change things up. You should never drop both of them. You have a distinct advantage on every offensive line you face by having three absolute killers as pass rushers on your starting defense to ever only rush one of them is asinine. That's pretty nasty. I watched a really interesting video this week about how the chiefs were able to generate one-on-one opportunities against the right side of that offensive line. The, you know, the right side is really the side the Bengals struggle with. If you, if you listen to this podcast, you know that the right side's bad. The center position's not great either. And it's going to be really interesting to see if the Rams do something similar where they try to get one-on-one situations for Aaron Donald. I I think if Aaron Donald ends up one-on-one with anybody on this offensive line, that that's malpractice by Zach Taylor and his coaching staff, you cannot let that happen in this game because he will be in that backfield ruining Joe Burrow's day. You think about like Von Miller coming off the edge, like you said, Leonard Floyd's in there. Like there's a difference between edge pressure and pressure that's right up the middle in your face. And what Aaron Donald is best at is providing that second type of pressure where, you know, Joe Burrow can be as slippery as he wants. He's not escaping a defensive tackle coming straight up the middle at him and pushing that pocket and making him uncomfortable. So aside from that, the, the other matchup I'm super interested to watch if you talk about Bengals offense versus Rams defense is Jalen Ramsey versus Jamar Chase on the outside. I think that is going to be one of the more fun matchups in this entire game, seeing who has the edge out there. I'm really interested to see if they have Jalen Ramsey just travel with him or not. I feel like I haven't seen him do that as much this year as he has at times done in the past. I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's a huge advantage for you to be able to do that because your, your other defensive backs are at such a huge disadvantage trying to cover him. Now, if you feel like you've got like a great scheme, that's going to be able to handle it, like, fine, give it a shot. But like, in my head, I'm thinking of that like game last year in the regular season where Kansas city played Tampa Bay and Todd Bowles just didn't make any adjustments the entire first quarter and Tyree kill put up over 200 yards in the first quarter. If you see it's not working right off the bat, change it (laughs) because Jamar chase can do the same shit to you. 
Don't get fucking burned by him over and over. Do something about it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw it, but during his Super Bowl media day availability yesterday, Jalen Ramsey was basically lobbying to shadow Jamar Chase the entire game. So I'm not sure if he'll be deployed that way or if you, you know, maybe you double chase and then you put Ramsey man on Higgins or you do something like that. But it's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch what they do with Ramsey and how they deploy him against one of the better receivers in the league. What I expect to happen is Jalen will probably travel with him as long as he's lined up on the outside. But if he lines up in the slot, I expect them to try and double him via the rest of their coverage. Unless they're in a particular package where it's just all man. So, Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do. I, I mean, ideally, if the pass rush is getting home, you don't have to worry about it as much because Burrow's not going to have as much time. Uh, I think he's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly in this game for the Bengals to be successful. So I would look at like shorter stuff, screens. I mean, you saw it in the Tennessee game that they had Jamar Chase out on a screen and, you know, some of those plays can go a long way with his athleticism and his speed. So, yeah, Chase can take a, a slant of house easy. Like, it's just one of those those rare guys that something that should be like a seven-yard gain. If you don't get him down immediately, you might tack another 70 yards on there. Yes, I I expect to see more of the quick passing game from Cincy, which hasn't been their specialty this year, but I I think you almost have to go to it with Donald and Floyd and those guys out there. On the other side of the ball, Rams offers offense versus Bengals D. I want to give a shout out and a lot of credit to the Bengals defense and their defensive coordinator. I'm going to say this wrong, uh, Lou Anarumo. I watched this video about the second half adjustments they made against Kansas City last week. I just thought it was, it was fascinating and it was so smart. Basically what they did to shut down that offense. Uh, I don't know. Do you want to get like super nerdy for a minute? We'll get like super technical. Fuck yeah. If anybody that listens to this understands this, I'd owe you a cookie and or a gold star. The, The Chiefs struggled against two deep safety a lot this year. We talked about it a lot on this podcast that that was a big problem for them. One thing that they found out was really working for them against two deep safety near the end of the year was what's called a bounce concept. And what the bounce concept does on offense, you have two receivers on the same side of the field. One runs what's called a dig and the other one runs what's called a shallow whip. And basically you're attacking like the intermediate area of the defense with the dig. And then the shallow whip is putting the linebacker in a position where he has to make a decision between either getting some depth and covering that dig that's going behind him or attacking the whip route that's in front of him. And what a whip route is, is basically like the beginning of a slant, but then you go outside instead of inside. So the Chiefs were using that against the Bengals too deep safety in the first half, and they were really struggling against it. You saw like the Chiefs were up 21 to three at one point, and then they had that drive that got all the way down to the end. So basically the adjustment that the Bengals made in the second half was that they take one of those safeties that's deep and use him as a robber, which means instead of dropping back into deep coverage, he's kind of coming up into a shallower coverage. 
middle. Yeah, to get that dig. And that allowed the linebacker to kind of attack that whip route that's underneath instead of having to worry between the dig and the whip. And then on the other side, they had Sam Hubbard, like whatever side Travis Kelsey was on, he would be on the opposite side of the bounce concept. They were using Hubbard. They were, so they were dropping eight back into coverage a lot. They did it 30% of the plays in the first half, and then they increased it to 60% of the plays in the second half. So instead of rushing four, they rushed three. And Hubbard is that guy that comes off the line and basically brackets Kelsey with one of the DBs. And then Hubbard, after he brackets Kelsey for the first five yards, comes up and plays spy on Mahomes to make sure that Mahomes can't escape. So it, it kind of like ends up being a perfect storm. They take away the bounce concept that's helping against too deep safety. And then they don't have a quick outlet to Kelsey. And then Hubbard's coming up and playing the uh, spy position. So like Mahomes is having trouble getting out of the pocket. And they basically shut that down and then kept playing too deep safety. So it's just like really smart adjustments. Um, there was another part of the video that discussed the, or the interception that BJ Hill had yeah. where they ran, they basically, the chiefs ran an RPO concept, which is like a big part of their playbook. So the offensive line, like during an RPO, the offensive line is blocking downfield, no matter what they're basically run blocking. Yeah. And that Sam Hubbard, who's bracketing, Kelsey basically comes off and gets in front of the receiver that's in the RPO concept, causing Mahomes to hesitate. And then he tries to throw it too late and it's too like BJ Hills right there. So just like really interesting adjustments by their defensive coordinator and like really, really smart to look at like, okay, here's what Kansas city's doing. Here's what's helping them be successful. These are the two or three things we think we can do because they're not going to run the ball on us. And basically where this comes into play with the Rams is that if since he is dropping eight guys into coverage or even seven guys into coverage consistently, you're going to have to punish them not only with the intermediate game and the short game through your passing game, but you're going to have to run the ball successfully, something that the Rams have not done a ton of this year. I also want to give credit to us because two weeks ago we mentioned that DJ Reader and BJ Hill could have a huge impact on that game against the Chiefs. And they both have massive plays in the second half. Us is my favorite people that you give credit to. <laughs> I love it when we get credit. And I think this, this is going to be interesting because Cam Akers has looked very good since he's returned. He hasn't necessarily always had a ton of room to run, but when he has had the ball in his hands, he has looked very good. Obviously, B.J. Hill and D.J. Reader are not exactly what uh, K-Makers wants to see this week. (laughs) But uh, this will be interesting because the number one thing with K-Makers is you got to tackle because if he gets a second chance, he has shown a lot of burst. And while he might not have totaled up a ton of yards this postseason, when it has mattered, he has broken some very important runs. And maybe they weren't like 30, 40 yarders, but when you were able to break a 10, 15 yard run in the second half, 
with a lead, that's huge. Uh, the first downs are massive. That that could be interesting. Um, we also mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Bengals have a pretty damn good safety tandem. And that is also going to be extremely interesting to me because that is the strength of their secondary. I don't think that their cornerbacks are particularly great. I don't have any particular issues with them, um, but they're nothing to write home about. However, they do have very good safeties, uh, starting with Jesse Bates because the man is phenomenal. But the constant nemesis for good safeties is a quarterback who's good with his eyes. And Stafford is one of the best in the league at moving safeties with his eyes. He does it all the time. Uh, so that is going to be interesting to me because he, he uses that a lot. Sometimes yeah. to the point where he's looking a guy off and then throwing a no look fast. Yeah, I think that this game is actually way more of an interesting chess match between what the teams want to do offensively and defensively to me. Yeah. Like, you know, we specified on one side of the ball, I think that the pass rush from the Rams means you got to get rid of that ball quick. You got to mm-hmm. throw some screens, some outlets, stuff like that. The, on this side of the ball, like, so Stafford actually kind of struggled against two deep safeties this year. Uh, I watched mm-hmm. another breakdown that basically suggested yeah. that in some cases he trusted his arm a little too much to try to fit some passes in. And that that, that has been the book on him his entire career. That is never going to change. I think he just has yeah. to play really disciplined in this game for them to win. They, you know, I was watching this, basically these plays they were running against the Vikings where he had, you know, some shorter tight window throws that he can definitely make that yeah. he, he passed on to throw deep. And he threw a couple of interceptions in that game because of that. You know, I know he's thrown a lot of interceptions this yeah. year that weren't really his fault, but he's going to have to limit that and really kind of take what the defense gives him in the short and intermediate game. Cause I think the Bengals are going to play a lot of zone. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think he needs to recognize there's a time and a place. Um, and I generally, honestly, over his career, I I would say that uh, he's mostly done that. The biggest games, unless it was, you know, like, hey, I need to play hero ball to get things done. Like I see a lot of zone in the Bengals future because Cooper cup absolutely destroys man coverage. He was absolutely ridiculous against man coverage this year. And you saw it in the 49ers game that the 49ers basically ran some man near the end. They were trying to blitz Stafford and run man in the back and Cooper cup was torching them. Same thing with the Buccaneers the week before. Like you, you have to play zone against the Rams. Everybody that has played man defense against the Rams this year has gotten annihilated. And Cooper cup is the biggest part of that. But then you also got to worry about OBJ and these other guys. And the Bengals don't exactly have like the corners that I would say, 
that really stand a chance in man. So I think it's a lot of zone. I think it's going to be a lot of dropping back a large number of guys for the Bengals as well. And I kind of see it as like, if the Bengals are going to win this game, it's going to be because the Rams pull like a, and this is going to hurt my feelings. It's my turn to hurt my feelings. The Rams pull like an 07, 08 Patriots where, you know, the Giants were getting after the Patriots in that Super Bowl with four and dropping a lot of guys back. And the Patriots would not commit to the run. Uh, Tom Brady threw 48 passes in that game. I mean, in the run, not like the run game was really working that well because Lawrence Maroney only had 14 carries for 36. But it was a struggle for the Patriots to not throw the ball. And I think like the Rams are going to have to play disciplined. Like I said, take the short and intermediate stuff, use the zone busters, but also be a little bit more dedicated to the run game than they have been in the last couple of weeks. I also think that in those situations where they're dropping for, like they're not selling on the run. They're not like actively trying to stop the run. If you're not running the ball successfully, then you are not getting creative enough with the run. I think that's clear as day. Like you can, manufacture yards in the running game more than I think you can do in the passing game. Uh, To a degree, yes, you can as in the passing game, but I think it is much more feasible in the run game. Yeah. I just, I want to see the game plan, more of the game plan that we saw against the Cardinals in round one of the playoffs where Stafford, and I know he didn't have to throw as much because the defense was kind of killing him, but or killing uh, Kyler in that game. Yeah. But I'd like to see like, you know, mid to high 20 passes from Stafford and then like an even split of carries between Akers and Michelle, you know, maybe a little bit more towards Akers because he's more explosive. I just, I don't want to see what we saw against the Bucks where Akers has like 28 touches and Michelle has one. I think they're a little bit better I, when they spell Akers to some degree. <laughs> I would, I would be okay with like, 25 to 10 ratio yeah yeah that's that's more what i'm thinking i guess i said even even's not fair yeah i don't need like no even is a bad idea because then you're just sitting acres unnecessarily when he has a better weapon yeah i don't well no you can disrespect sony michelle on this podcast it's fine he sony michelle can do (laughs) sony michelle can do one thing at the nfl level and that's gain approximately three to four yards a carry which it's not bad, but like he's not catching, he's not pass blocking. You just like this is this is it. This is what he can do. And yeah, so if it's like 50, I don't want to see like 15-15, but if you give me like a 20-10 or like a 23-10 or something like that, I think that's a better recipe for success than yeah. 28 to 1 for them. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I think zone defense from the from the Bengals, I think you're gonna have to make them pay for that. Run the zone busters, take the short stuff, but like don't eliminate yeah. the deep game completely. If you're LA, like it's, it's an important part. And then on the Bengals side, really just like get rid of the ball quickly. If they can run efficiently with Joe Mixon uh, against the Rams, you know, their run blocking is way better than their pass blocking this year. Yeah, for sure. And then just keep making those adjustments. Like they, you know, if you make adjustments like they did against the chiefs a couple weeks ago, 
I, I'll be really fascinated to see what Lou, uh, Lou and Zach Taylor come up with kind of halfway through this game, depending on how things are going in the first half. Yeah, for sure. Another interesting aspect for this, for me in this game at least, is that uh, we have two quarterbacks that are really, really good late game. Like, <laughs> some of the best. Like, Stafford uh, this year, obviously I've mentioned he pretty much, like, across the board had the best stats in the NFL for uh, quarterbacks in the fourth quarter. Uh, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions, 126.4 passer rating. Burrow also... You know, had a passer rating of 101, uh, 10 touchdowns. He also, uh, just in general, in second half, he has a passer rating of 112, which is pretty fucking good. Uh, I expect the end of this game to be absolutely bonkers because when either of these quarterbacks get the ball late in the game and don't have a lead, it's like a switch flips. And it's not the switch that the defense wants to see. Yeah, I kind of see this as like a really interesting cat and mouse game through the first couple quarters and opening up a lot more at the end and kind of like throwing the haymakers more near the end. So uh, overall, who are you going with for this game? Unless this is your first episode listening to this podcast, you already know that I'm going with the Rams. <laughs> you know that I'm a Stafford homer through and through, and uh, nothing's going to change that. I am also going with the Rams. They were my preseason Super Bowl winner pick. Uh, I've stuck with them all season, and I felt pretty good about it. And I, you know, here we are. I can't, I can't pick the other team unless I guess it's like a hedge. You know, for like all season, I picked the Rams and I picked the Bengals here and I'm right either way at the end. Uh, I just can't with the how nasty the Rams pass rushes with those yeah. three guys that we mentioned, uh, especially Aaron Donald. I just can't in good conscience pick against them with this offensive line that the Bengals have. I cannot do it. So we're both going Rams in this one. It's hard for me to imagine Stafford not getting this done. Uh, unless they like really get out of it early. Which who knows? I mean, I will not bring up the game that Trent will not speak of. Um, but unless it's like that game, like I just feel like this is what he does, you know. He's at home in the chaos, which is actually an exact way that you could describe Joe Burrow. So this game is going to be wild. I watched this man in my city for 12 years. And whatever, whenever you think it's over, he makes sure you know that it's not. And that's the man I'm going to bet on. That's a good plan. 
I, I want to talk about bets in just a second, but I do take issue with one thing you said. I had to get my feelings hurt multiple times on the podcast today, talking about the <laughs> Patriots losing Super Bowls. So we will not censor the name of the Super Bowl to avoid hurting Trent's feelings. Matt is talking about when the Seattle Seahawks absolutely obliterated Peyton Manning and the Broncos. That's the Super Bowl he's talking about. We're fucking talking about it. I am not avoiding hurting Trent's feelings when I had to talk about the Giants beating the Pats. Not on this podcast, baby. God damn. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, prop bets with the Super Bowl. This is you know, you, you pull in all the casual fans for this game, which is great. And it's a lot of fun to watch football with people that you don't normally watch football with. Right. One of the big things. So like, there's obviously squares, which is huge. And then there's a bunch of like really fun prop bets that you can do. And those include things like how long is the national anthem going to be, uh, which the prop bet this year is over under 95 seconds which is interesting because the the singer's name is Mickey Guyton and in national anthem circles, she's referred to as quickie Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> That's not, that is not a joke. She's referred to as quickie Mickey by people who sing the national anthem because she sings it so fast. So uh, do with that information, what you will. Um, if you ever have the chance to bet on the length of a national anthem, when Aretha Franklin is singing, smash the over there's no over that's high enough for that like five i don't care if it's four hours smash the over uh you can bet on the coin toss which is minus 103 either way which is bullshit because it's a 50 50 outcome and it's not plus 100 right you can bet on what color gatorade will be dumped on the winning coach and like that's a tough one because then you have to know you not only have to bet on who's going to win but you have to know that team's gatorade preference right I will say the best odds are orange. Orange is plus 200. That's the lowest odds for any of the colors, which disgusts me because I think orange is the worst flavor of Gatorade. So the fact that it's the most likely Gatorade dumped is wrong. What's your favorite flavor of Gatorade? Oh, God, I I haven't drank Gatorade in a while, so I can't remember the names. But it was like one of the light blue ones. Okay, Two things. One, nobody calls Gatorade by the flavor name. Yeah. <laughs> it's color. You don't have to know what the flavor's name is. Yeah. If if you Okay, but there's like seven light blue ones. Yeah, it's one of the light blue. They're all the same. It's fine. It's light blue. If your favorite is not in like the red, yellow, blue family, you're you are a psychopath. If your favorite like if your favorite flavor is like purple or orange, I I don't know what to do with you. Uh, in all honesty, I'll probably marry you because I think my wife's favorite flavor is orange. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mine is orange. <laughs> we're going to need a new podcast. Host. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm personally offended by this, though. Red and yellow are the best flavors, in my opinion. Uh, you can also bet on who the fir- who the MVP of the Super Bowl will thank first. So that's another tricky one because you have to bet on who you think is going to be the MVP and also know what's important to that person. Like, so you can bet on God and Jesus. You can bet on family, teammates, coaches. Uh, If you think Matt Stafford is going to be the Super Bowl MVP, I would parlay the Rams winning with uh, the Super Bowl MVP thanking their family first because I I think that he's going to shout out his wife, Kelly. 
if oh, he yeah. does win it for sure. If you know anything about he's what he's been through in the last like three or four years. You're leaning heavily in that direction. Yeah, it's big bet on family. If you think he's going to win Super Bowl MVP, if you think it's Burrow, then you may want to pick Cigar Company for who they're going to thank first. But uh, <laughs> you can also bet on what color Snoop Dogg shoes will be at halftime. So these are all things that you can really find in gambling sports books on your phone. You can really bet on these things. I have my own list of things that I think should be prop bets that you cannot bet on with anybody except for me. So Matt, I am going to throw at you some prop bets that I invented that I think should be real props for the Super Bowl. And I want you to tell me if we're going over or under. Can we make these real bets? We really should. Uh, my first one, number of memorable Super Bowl commercials over under 1.5. Under. I would go with the under two. I don't think that. Yeah, I honestly can't remember. I mean, maybe this is just an issue like of like my level of drinking at the Super Bowl, but I can't remember a singer, a single Super Bowl commercial from last year. Not yes. one. I can't think of anything that is more hyped up and cons- more consistently disappointing than Super Bowl commercials. Like, I think there there was a golden age, but that age has passed. I feel like our humor was more simplistic back then, too. So It's probably true. Do you remember any commercials from last year's Super Bowl? I literally just said I didn't. Yeah, I, sorry. <laughs> I don't remember any of them. The only Super Bowl commercial I remember from like the last 10 years is the Miller High Life commercial, where they paid to have one second of airtime. And it was just like that really funny Miller High Life guy. And he popped on and went, High Life. And that was it. It was like the commercial was literally a second long. And it was just him going, High Life. And that's it. And that's the most memorable Super Bowl commercial to me from like the last 10 years. I can't name any other ones. I would not be mad if that was the entirety of the Super Bowl commercials this year. It's just that every time it goes to commercial, that's all we get. Over and over again. Uh, next prop. Next prop that I made up. How many times will they mention that Tom Brady is retiring? Over under ten and a half. I think we're just going to get plastered with this one the whole game. It, like it's going to overshadow a lot I'm, of things. I'm going I'm to go over. I'm going to go over. It's fair. I feel like ten and a half is like the right kind of like. God, they they're going to talk about it a ton, or they're not going to talk about it very much. Yeah. Uh, next thing. How many nice things will be said about the city of Detroit and or the Detroit Lions? Over under 0. 0.5. I'm smashing the under. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're on the same page here. So, like, if you if you watch any of the Rams games this year, the graphics they would put up with Stafford when he – like referring to when he was in Detroit, it was like broken down cars and shit. They were slamming Detroit all year. There's no way they're changing tune now. No, this is the thing is like, so I live in Metro Detroit. Matt is from Metro Detroit. We spent a lot of time in Detroit growing up. I love the city of Detroit. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's gone through fantastic too. 
Yeah, it's gone through a huge renaissance the last couple of years with uh, more money in businesses, restaurants, all sorts of stuff opening down there. Anybody listening to this podcast that wants to come down and see Detroit, uh, DM me or email me on Twitter. And we will take you to places in Detroit that will make you fall in love with the city. So I say this with all due respect and love to Detroit. I've never seen anybody in the national media who's not from Detroit say something nice about it. Yeah. But I am still going to take the over if you count Matt Stafford and Eminem saying nice things about Detroit. Because I think Matt Stafford may slip something nice into his MVP speech. And I think Eminem could give Detroit a shout out on national television. Okay. Does if, that count though? If that counts, if we're, count, if we're counting that, I'll take the over because I know how he feels about Detroit. Because like before he left, he had put millions of dollars into the city. Uh, the Staffords flew to Detroit when Kelly was pregnant to make sure that every one of their kids was born in the city of Detroit. Then when he finally asked for a trade, he put down a million dollars to start the Stafford like athletic center thing. I can't remember what it was called. Um, But yeah, he, he started, he put down like a million dollars for the city of Detroit to build this facility for kids in Detroit and it's fucking amazing. And they didn't have to do that. And they put out this like really sappy video saying like, this isn't goodbye. This is thank you. Like, I don't think they're going to do us like that. Yeah. They're uh, so if we count Stafford and Eminem, I'll go over 1.5 or I'll go over 0.5. But if we're, if we're saying like Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, I, I don't know how, can you even go more under than 0.5? Like, I think that's the, that's the lowest number I could come up with. But if we were betting negatives, I'd bet on the negative. I I would be willing to go with negative 12. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Next one. Will there be an officiating controversy? Yes is minus 10,000. No is plus 10,000. There's a hundred percent going to be an officiating controversy. Officiating has been yeah. horrible this year. It was one of the two championship games. Actually, it was pretty tame. It wasn't that bad. But um, yeah, no, all playoffs. It's been awful. It's yes because it it didn't start in the playoffs. They've been bad, all like objectively bad from week one, and they didn't get any better. No, it's, it's been bad. And I'm sure that it may not be like no. a game deciding controversy, Yeah, but I'm sure we're going to look back. Like, even if you look at the 49ers versus Rams game, yeah, Matt Stafford got his absolute bell yeah. rung by Fred Warner yeah. after the thing. And they didn't call yep. it. Yeah. Like that. You could argue that Fred Warner should have been ejected for that. There was no football reason for him to do that. No, so there will there will definitely be something. So yeah. I'd go with yes. Uh, two more. The number of well-known Republican politicians who will tweet something about not watching the halftime show. Over under three and a half. And I will remind you, the halftime show consists of Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, and Mary J. Blige. 
Is there something stronger than over? <laughs> Playing to the base. I'm I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for like the Ted Cruz tweet that said like this is a great game, but I'm turning off the halftime show. Uh, and then the last one. Number of people who will black out at Matt's Super Bowl party. Over under six and a half. It's a question of if there's going to be more than six people. Well, I figured that even if you have seven people there, I will take the over. (laughs) I will also take the over. Those are all my bets. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you'd like to get in on the bets with us, or if you would like to come and see the lovely city of Detroit, you can DM us on Twitter at fouled out sports. Yeah, no. Um, I was actually recently talking to some people about like the fact that I haven't really checked out any of the new stuff in a few years down there. Uh, and obviously with you living there, I don't have any excuse not to. So, um, I want to do that. So if people want to do that, uh, definitely DM either one of us and uh, figure out when we can do this shit. Yeah, well, if you want to come over and go do it, then you have to DM me. That's the rule. You got to get in line. Uh, yeah, I mean, D- Detroit has been continuing. You know the rules, and so do I. <laughs> Never mind. Don't come over. Uh yeah, the city of Detroit has continued to like grow and evolve even during COVID, which has been amazing. So um, I highly recommend yeah. it, um, so, even if Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth want to shit on it. So for all of you who have been listening and seen where this episode has gone, uh, I can promise you this episode isn't going to end how you think it's going to. No, we have one more topic we have to talk about. So we're going to switch gears because I am a lifelong Sacramento Kings fan. I think a lot of people that listen to this know this. And my team did something today that not only shocked everyone in the NBA, but it also appalled them. It all, yes, it also appalled them. I literally, when I read this, I saw this on Twitter. And at first I thought it was a joke. And then as soon as I found out that it was real, I had to like go stare out my window for like half an hour and just contemplate life and why I own any clothing that has the Sacramento Kings logo on it. The Sacramento Kings traded Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson to the Indiana Pacers today for DeMontis Sabonis, uh, Justin Holiday, and... Jeremy Lamb. What going into the trade deadline, I literally said out loud the other day that the one thing you cannot do is leave the deadline without Tyrese Halliburton on your team. They had one thing that they had to do to make me happy. And that was just to have Tyrese Halliburton after the deadline was over. And now he is gone. I When I read that they traded him for Sabonis, I was physically sick. Like, I really thought I was going to throw up on my computer today. I'm actually about to put something into perspective that's going to make this worse for you. I don't know how it could be worse, but go ahead. <laughs> they, they made this deal, and they still weren't able to unload Marvin Bagley. 
They couldn't even throw Marvin Bagley in there. It's so true. <laughs> God. So like on one hand, I don't dislike Sabonis. Uh, he's a really good player. He's, he's the best player we've had since DeMarcus Cousins. It's just that like when you trade away a 21 year old future star for a, it's like a win now move for a team that's 15 games below 500 as of recording. We're 20 and 35 making win now moves because our idiotic owner is desperate to end the playoff streak so that he'll stop getting made fun of. You you have a 21 year old point guard and like Sabonis is only 25. So it's not like he's that much older, but Halliburton is not even a free agent until 2025. And when he does become a free agent, he's restricted. Sabonis is an unrestricted free agent in 2024. Sabonis may not even be on this team anymore while Halliburton is still on his rookie deal. Like, yeah, this reminds me of a combination of two trades. The first is when Vladi traded a future first round pick, Nick Stauskas and a couple other things in a salary dump to the 76ers so that he could sign Rajon Rondo and Marco Bellinelli to massive one year deals that ended up being a complete failure because that is the last win now move that we made. And it also reminds me of when the Rockets traded James Harden. I feel like it's going to be that kind of impact where you look at it like three or four years from now and go, that guy got traded. Do you mean the thunder? Yeah. Yeah. When the Rockets traded for James Harden. Sorry. So yeah, the, the thunder traded away James Harden when he was really young, kind of like a six man, on their team like he and he had already showed flashes of being very very good did you listen to that episode of the greatest games never played podcast i did stolen thunder was one of my favorites yeah yeah that one was fantastic um i don't know my my feeling and kind of they kind of alluded to that as well is that like they knew what they had in okc they just they weren't willing to bite the bullet to pay him what he wanted to be paid um, or what he should have been paid. It's probably a better way to put it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I always liked Tyrese Halliburton, um, but the way he has played this year, I am willing to eat some crow and say that like he's, he was the future of that franchise. Um, trading Fox for that Hall probably would have been a better decision. But <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I just it doesn't make sense. Your Pain. issues were mostly on defense, and. The weakness for Sabonis is defense. So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like you created a hole next to Fox. And, like, yeah, you added a really good player. But a really good player who's also bad at defense. And a way you created, like, one and a half holes. Yeah, and I, I mean, they filled another hole because we did need like a front court, kind of like a bigger skilled guy. I, I just, yeah, 
They also traded away Buddy Heald, who like lots of Kings fans have their qualms with Buddy Heald. And I do too. Yeah. But ironically, the thing that they now need the most is shooting because you've left Sabonis, who's a playmaking big surrounded by De'Aaron Fox, who can't shoot his way out of a paper bag. Davion Mitchell, who is not a bad shooter, but he's not great. Uh, Barnes, who's a good shooter. And then probably Rashawn Holmes there as well. Uh, it's just like they've gotten rid of, they got rid of Buddy, who was one of their better shooters. And then Tyrese Halliburton, who was a 21-year-old point guard who averaged seven assists a game and shot 41% from three for his career. Yeah, 41.1%. Like that's, yeah. that's elite. Just, I want to say it was like just sort of five attempts per game too. So it wasn't like a small amount. No, he can shoot. It just, I just feel like this is going to be a trade that they look back on like three to four years from now. And everybody's just like in shock that this guy would have ever gotten traded. And like as a second year player, he was putting up like 14 points per game, seven and a half assists, like about four rebounds per game. Like, the worst part of this all is like two things. So he was my favorite player. He's super fun to watch. And the very worst part is that literally two weeks ago in a press conference, he said that he will not accept the King's culture and that he is, he wants to be a part of turning it around and that he's here to turn it around and he's here to fix it. And that's his goal. And like to find people like that in Sacramento, like people who want to be in Sacramento long-term is nearly impossible. So for him to come out and say that and then get traded two weeks later, it's just like the Kings saw that and they're like, we like our culture. Woj just reported that Halliburton was shocked and dismayed at the fact that he was traded. He never saw it coming. And it, it just seems like what happened is that the Kings like, Two things, really. One, they fell in love with Sabonis and just kind of decided that there was no price that was too high to pay for Sabonis. Right. I think the other thing is that they put Fox out on the market a couple weeks ago and found out that nobody wants De'Aaron Fox, especially not for the price they're asking, not with that contract and not with his obvious deficiencies, shooting ball and playing defense. And so they decided that if they're going to win now, that it's going to have to be Fox and another star and like, that's what they went and did. They they did that. You know, what you described to me with Halliburton, it just feels so similar to me to what happened with Quandary Diggs in Detroit. Uh, when Matt Patricia was around, like players were not happy with how poorly things were going on the defensive end. And Per reports, he approached the coaching staff about wanting to make some changes and kind of challenged them on some things. And they apparently took that personally. And Quandre Diggs was traded to the Seattle Seahawks for a fourth round pick and then went on to make back-to-back Pro Bowls. I think Halliburton can legitimately be a star player in the NBA, like an all NBA level guard. Yeah. So like he's already a very good playmaker. Uh, 
he came in the league a pretty damn good one and only gotten better there. And it's like a decent score at this point in time, but like he's young. He can he's not like overly athletic, but like neither is Cade Cunningham, and we are seeing him live like learn how to score in the NBA against more athletic people. Um, And I think that's something that Tyrese Halliburton can do as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see him turn into a 20 point per game score and be a high level playmaker at the same time. I look at this trade and just think that this is going to go on the list of Kings. I mean, the Luca thing is always going to be number one to pass on a generational talent and take Marvin garbage Bagley. That's always going to be number one in my book, but I think that this is going to make a strong push to be number two. Like this is going to be a really tough one for Kings fans. Like three to four years from now, we're going to be watching him play with Chris Duarte in an incredible backcourt in Indianapolis and just be like, could have been us. I I still firmly believe that this is not quite as bad as trading your finals MVP Chauncey Billups for the ghost of Allen Iverson. Yeah. I mean, at least you guys got a finals and finals MVP though. We... Right. But when you're evaluating the move, like <laughs> it's better that we like didn't move on from him before them, but like, he was clearly the better player at the time. No, I mean, in a, in a vacuum, this trade is not like even the worst value to get a guy who's been an all-star the last two years and will be again this year for like your young right. developing point guard. But it's just like where the Kings are making a win now move. is just so stupid, you know? Yeah. So at least you guys got a finals for having Chauncey. We are going to get a couple of play-in game exits. And then, you know, we're, we're probably going to like get the 10 seed this year and lose our first playing game. And the front office is going to be celebrating. Like we just want a fucking playoff series, which it's not that honestly, like making the playing game is not ending your playoff drought. So we have that to look forward to that. We're going to get eliminated as the 10 seed. But the one really amazing thing that Vivek did today, he did something I have never seen before. I have been subscribed to our Kings for <laughs> and 10 years is going. eight years uh, seven years however long i've been on our kings and i'm like a relatively active member of the community i'm not super active but i i have discussions with people on there a lot never in my life have i seen our kings be unified all pointing in the same direction everybody hates this trade everybody hates it and I've never seen that before. I've never seen the sub all going in the same direction. So you, you got that going for you, Vivek. Just sell the fucking team. Please, God, I'm begging you. Sell this team. Release us from our misery. Yeah, it is incredibly difficult to unite a Reddit sub. Like, <laughs> he did it. He did it. But that is it for us. Uh, as always, Fouled Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, or you can hit Matt up on Twitter at Matador underscore defense. And you can also find our videos on TikTok at Fouled Out Podcast. 
Uh, any parting shots before we go? Well, I'm just I'm just glad that Aaron Rodgers is immunized from the Super Bowl. Good point. Uh, I hope you all enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend more than I enjoy being a Kings fan. The bar is low. The bar is so low. Uh, but yeah, have fun with the parties. Everybody be safe. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Matt and I will be back next week to break down what the Super Bowl result means and do a preview of the offseason. Kind of look at what the big storylines are for the offseason coming up as well. Yeah, so we'll be back and we'll talk about all the Super Bowl stuff and then we'll probably talk about all the other stupid shit the Kings do in the next 48 hours because there's still time. The deadline has not hit yet. So, all right, my friend, I will talk to you this weekend. Enjoy the game. You too, man. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, mom.